I, I, I'm re- recalling Christmases past and thinking about all of the things. And one of the most vibrant memories, America has been posting some really cool stuff about memories and music and, and certainly movies on, on our social media. And if you're not following us there, you should, you should really check it out. But in the process of doing this, I thought of a, of a vibrant memory of mine. I don't know that it was, it's not necessarily a tradition, but it was a, a, a vivid moment. And, and I don't know about you, but you ever get something that you really wanted at Christmas? I mean, really, like as a kid, I got something that I was like, this, I want this. And my parents were like, came through, clutch, the whole thing. They got me the thing, exactly the thing I wanted. Have you ever been there? You ever have that happen on December the 25th when that just also happens to be the same, same day that's a Sunday and then you have to go to church after you open your present and you wanna, all you want to do is play with that present? That's what happened to me. You know, so I got this gift and I'm really just excited about it and it's like this whole thing. And mom is like, all right. You know, kind of like, almost like we were, like we were being rounded up by the police. Freeze. Everybody outside. We're like, we just got all this cool stuff. And she's like, we're going to church. And I, I don't remember the sermon that day. And, and I suspect that if you were to go back and just try to remember sermons from your childhood, you probably will only, if, even if you're lucky, remember a couple, if any. Because we just overwrite all that stuff with other stuff. As we become adults, we learn and we fill in the, just fill in the cash. We just fill it in with other stuff. I don't remember the message that morning. But the lesson I learned was how important church was to my mother, how important church was to, to, to the family as a result and what we should be doing. And, you know, there's a moment by which, you know, being raised, you know, in a house that, that, that was that was not always real super consistent on those kinds of things, but there were moments of conviction that, that stand out. And with my children, having been in the house of a pastor, they, they're at church. They are just, all the time, they are going to church. They just know that it's part of life. It's what they do. But I hope that you know that there's something about coming to be at church, especially close to the holidays especially around the times that remind us of, of the importance of this. So this morning, I, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that some might question whether or not it's really part of the birth narrative, but I will tell you it absolutely is, and we'll see it together. So turn with me in your Bibles to John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse number 1. Famous, legendary passages here. When you get to it, if you would stand in honor of God's Word. John chapter 1, verse number 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 
to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture that we are reminded that in these opening verses of John that we are challenged to see the stark contrast between the world that we live in and the one that you have come to redeem, those who believe and those who believe you not. I pray this morning that as we celebrate these gospel stories that we would hear the truth and that we would celebrate this Christmas knowing that you have brought grace to us. No one else could offer it. You have brought light to us, Lord, for we were in darkness. We ask this morning that we would be the children that have received you and the ones who believe, having your grace for ourselves and to offer to each other. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, there's so much that could be done here, and one of the really interesting things is I, I, I talk about this passage a lot, and I I, I, I'm usually careful not to preach on it. It kind of has a, has a moment in my history where, where I spent a lot of time working on this passage, especially when I was in school. Um, we were required in a preaching lab to, to pick a passage of Scripture, and I started right here, John chapter 1, verse 1. It's so well known. And, and it typically was my mentor's, one of his favorite to point young believers at, to because if you read the gospel according to John, and I've said this to you before, and I'm going to say it again. If you read three chapters a day for a week, You'll have read the whole thing if you write your questions down and you bring them to Brother Ben. Brother Ben will sit with you and talk with you about all your questions about the gospel. It'll be the first beginning of a great journey for you to know the story of Jesus. But there's something powerful with the way that this is depicted with John. Something that gives us something, something philosophical as well as something concrete. And there's all of these moving pieces. So we're going to move rapidly and kind of dissect a couple of these things. But I want you to see this with me. There's this measure of, of curiosity of whether or not that this world was created by, by, by intelligent design or whether or not this world was just an accident, just, just things happening. And I suggest that when you read the Bible, it makes a clear definition, a standpoint, and it, it, it stands on, on its own merit and says, we believe in intelligent design. We believe in creator. We believe in authorship. And it starts here with this picture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Word was with God, excuse me, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. And not to get into too big of a lecture this morning about the difference between creation and evolution, but there's something that you need to know. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take very long for you to look at any number of social media sites to see people picking apart the craftsmanship of anybody on any measure of things, right? Whether it be plumbing or mechanics or, or whether it be um, carpentry or whatever, and it doesn't take long for people to just to be self-appointed experts. And I don't know about you, but my children tell me I'm on dad talk because whenever I look at social media and on TikTok or whatever, it's all these things about mowing lawns and plumbing, and, and they're like, that's not what TikTok is for the rest of us. And I was like, I don't know how I fell into this algorithm, but I'm here. 
But what I have learned is that every time I do a renovation project, I always ask myself this question. What was the guy before me thinking? Because this isn't how you're supposed to do it. And I have come to believe that what's going to happen when I'm gone is somebody's going to come behind me and say, what was that guy thinking? Because this is not how this is done. So be gentle on those who were before you because they probably were just doing the best they could do. Much the way you're just doing the best you can do. And it's probably not right either. But when you look at the summary of a beautiful and well-built home, you say to yourself, this is not an accident, it is intentional. It is by design perfect. It is intentionally laid out, resources measured, a measure of, of investment of skill and ability, foundation, walls, roof, finishings. I had a friend of mine who was a deacon of a church, said he always loved it when he got kind of the trim work, he said, because that means you're almost done. I find that part tedious, but he just loved it. He's like, oh man, it means we're about to wrap up. People look upon the thing that God created and they look at the intricacies of it, the beauty of it, the majesty of it. They look at the, at the perfection in it. And they say to themselves, this is an accident. This is just a matter of coincidence. And I suggest to you that when I look at a house, I know that there is intentional design. The same way when I look at a human being, I see intentional design. The same way that I look at the ecosystem and I see intentional design. The same way that when I look at the universe, I see intentional design. And I, I set all this up for you to know this, that when I look upon it and I see the way that it works and that it works with perfection, I know that it was intentional, that I know exactly, exactly what Jesus was coming for. He was coming to rescue that which his father had created because we were messing it up bad. We were undoing and redoing and trying to renovate the measure of his work in such a way that we look at everything that was made by him and he had to do something about that. And it is powerful. It, the scripture tells us, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Point number one this morning is, his light shines in the darkness. Did you realize that it's possible for an intelligent designer or creator to build something and people never know who it was who made it or designed it? It is possible because I have seen the very evidence of it in the work that I have done where you're looking for, for the measure of, of trying to ask people many questions, even about this building. Okay, who did what? Where are the drawings? Where's the evidence? Show me. And we can't go back sometimes 20 years and piece it all together so I know that people are having a hard time with God Almighty when they're trying to go back all the way to the beginning. And so we kind of sometimes look at all the measure of all the pieces and we say, this light that intentionally made all of this, it intentionally did it all, and we are completely ignorant to it. And there's this interruption of this harmony between mankind and God because we are ignorant to it. And so what has to happen as a result of this ignorance? Verse number six. Moving rapidly now. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Everyone say, might. Man, the scripture's pretty clear and this appears over and over again. It doesn't say that everyone will believe. It says that they might believe. 
there means that there's some measure of work in you that has to be in this narrative. He comes to bear a testimony that everyone gets the opportunity. Aren't you grateful for the opportunity? Oh, you don't sound excited. Isn't this the, 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 the excitement? I mean, I don't know about you, but some of you, you get giddy around this time of year about all kinds of little things, right? The, the lights on the tree or the ornaments in perfect position. I, I don't know about you, but I like to play this game at my mother-in-law's house where I rearrange her ornaments. This will get you in trouble. Fair warning. I did not do it this year. <laughs> at least not that you know about. She's here, by the way. I just hope you know that the, the, the picture here is, is that some of you get excited about the, the powdered sugar and the, and the baking in the kitchen, and some of you get excited about the company that's coming. I've oftentimes talked to my grandfather who used to sit in his chair and watch down the road for us to pull around the corner, and he might be there hours before we were supposed to arrive, just in case we decided to get busy and get, get there ahead of time. I know that he did it because there were times when I was with him when my family was coming, and he would do that very thing, and you'd say, you know they're not supposed to be here until he says, they might be early. We get excited about all the little pieces, don't we? We get excited about all the things, and, and as a result, we, we have this moment where we see this opportunity to share this with the world, and, and John is supposed to be a witness to tell the world, everyone that you tell might have the opportunity, and certainly will if you tell them, but they won't all agree or believe. It is encouragement to me and to you to know that he expected that, so that you understand that your responsibility is not to convince them. Your opportunity and your responsibility is just to witness. And this is something, because if you want point number two this morning is that witnesses are still sent to tell the story. Just like John was sent to tell people about Jesus' coming, we're sent to tell people about his death and resurrection and his return. We are telling a similar story, but at a completely different time in Jesus' life. He was talking about how Jesus was coming. We're talking about how Jesus is coming again. And we should be bold witnesses as a result. It goes on to tell a story. He says, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 9 again. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. This light is for absolutely everyone. Make no mistake about it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Once again, this re reoccurring theme, this, this lack of knowledge of the Creator, this lack of knowledge of his, of his Son. It says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. It doesn't matter what family you're born into. It doesn't matter how religious the people that are surrounding you are. It does not matter. It does not matter. Some of your, some of your closest relatives who were raised in it will sometimes completely reject it, will, will, will walk away from it. Don't assume that just because you took them that, they'll, that that'll happen, that they'll just automatically embrace it. Don't assume it. We see this picture, and it, it, it seems to me that it, it leaves a measure of question mark about who then will get it, if not all are guaranteed to, to embrace it. But verse number 12, there's this three-letter word that I love when it appears in Scripture because it means that God is going to give us a, a grand answer, a, a rebuttal to the moment, a, a purpose in transition. 
It says, but. Anytime I see that word, I think, oh, the story's about to get good. I don't, I don't know about you. You know what I'm saying when you're watching the show on TV and the music changes and you're like, oh, no, something's getting ready to happen, right? Oh, come on. Act like you're still with me. At least act for my sake, okay? And it intensifies if you're watching something that's kind of dark. It's like, this is getting creepy, or you're watching something joyful or excitement, and you're like, oh, no, this is getting exciting, or it's intense with the action, and you're like, if you're not, when you're reading your Bible, when you get to that word, if you're not starting to hear a change in the music, a change in the scenery, a change in the pace, you ought to start, because that's when things get really exciting. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Hallelujah, glory almighty, he gave us the this ability to be children of God. You know, I don't know about you, but there's no way that I could be a child of God without him. There's no way that I deserve it, and there's no way that you deserve it either. We're in the same club. And there's nothing I could do to earn it, and there's nothing that you could do to work your way into it, but for those who received him, kind of like a Christmas present under the tree, has your name on it. Will you receive it today? It is present in the moment we see the, the picture here. Because his own did not receive him, but for as many as who received him, they had the right. What a powerful statement. Verse 13, it goes on to say, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And it tells us the measure of your good works, the measure of your right thinking, the measure of your learnedness, the measure of your steadfast attendance, the measure of your doing and giving and being, that is not what makes you born again. You have to be born by his hand. You have to come to him through him. This is the story. Not born this way, but born of God. There's this beautiful, pivotal moment. Verse 14, one of the most famous passages in all of John chapter 1. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's this moment, this moment when humanity was leaning into this darkness, this, this, this hideousness. And, and sometimes when you look at the news today, and sometimes when you look at your bank account, and sometimes when you look at your neighborhood, and sometimes when you look at all the things, you think, we're right back there where things were seem pretty hopeless, Right? I don't know about you, some of you looked at your bank account and you're like, I better not look at that, that looks like it's haunted. You know, some of you are saying money is scared of your pocket because it's haunted and it won't come there, right? There's a picture here. Sometimes when you look at the situation, you're watching the prices rise and you're watching the, the bank account shrink and you're thinking to yourself, this is horrible. And some of you are watching families disintegrate and fall apart. And some of you are watching, watching the world seem to teeter on the edge of, of catastrophic global catastrophes and you're watching as the the inflation surges and all the things and you're seeing all this stuff and you're like where is this hope and, and the the resounding thing that people that are on the outside looking at our creator the resounding thing that i believe that they are saying over and over again is that god is losing but as a friend of mine once said god doesn't lose some of you are starting to get convinced in this moment of the story where it seems like this is this rejection of the creator, rejection of the situation, people that are rejecting their own, it says, and the word became flesh. Man, right there, right then, Jesus is the hinge point on which all of history is, is forever, ever anchored. 
It is insulting to me and it ought be to you whenever they change the calendar from before Christ and in the year of our Lord to something else. Because all of history, as long as we have known it, has been hinged on this one singular most important moment and they're trying even now to erase it. I remember the first time I saw it, BCE, I thought, and CE, I thought, y'all lost your mind. They tell us you can't teach an old dog new tricks. They were right. I still keep telling them there's a reason for the split in the calendar and it has everything to do with hope. That rewriting, what's it hinged on? Nothing. You see, if you remove God from the laws, if you remove him from history, if you remove Jesus from the, the narrative, you've hinged it on nothing. It's anchored to absolutely nothing. Just like creation itself, anchored to nothing. The scripture talks about how our creator, he fastened the universe to what? To what he wanted to fasten it to. He gave it all, all purpose. I just would ask you, if you could create a star, where would you put it? Too close to something and destroy it? Too far away to be meaningless? God knew right where to put all of it so that it makes sense. So much so that we are still navigating by it. God knows with perfection how and when and what to do and he brings his son into this world and his son brings us grace. Point number three is grace is from Jesus. I was told that last week I went a little fast on point number three. I'm going to pause and say grace is from Jesus. Point number three. For your sakes. Verse 15 says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father he has declared him. You know, we have been studying for weeks the different stories that appear in the Gospels, and we've been looking at all the famous stories. We see pictures of shepherds. We see pictures of wise men. We see pictures of Mary and Joseph. We understand the magnitude of promises beforehand about John. If you're, if you're coming to the stuff on Wednesday and Sunday night, you're getting the Old Testament prophecies, and we've been looking at the whole narrative, the landscape of absolutely everything. And in all of it, one theme emerges, something that I hope that you'll see, and that is that God has intentionally come to be with us. That's the word Emmanuel, God with us. This is the picture that we are told over and over again. Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. And I don't know about you, but if God doesn't come and help and be with us, then we are hopeless and absolutely without help. And so when we exchange gifts at this time of year, we do so to say, I give you this gift as a testimony of a great gift that I once received. I give you this gift to tell you that I believe that the best things in the world are gifts things that we can't earn or can't work for, that we don't deserve, and here it is. But you know, I've been stirring a lot and thinking a lot about this passage. I have been absolutely mulling it over because something occurred to me in, in all of this God coming to be with us story. And it's something I believe firmly, just absolutely embrace it. God rescued me from my sin. God rescues us from our hopelessness. God is in our midst when we seem completely out of control. Right? But there's something I think that we could do this holiday season I think would challenge the narrative. 
Because we lean so hard on him coming to us and, and beg so much for him to be in our midst to rescue our situation that all the while there's something that I think that we could, we could do as a measure of our testimony and our faith in him. That is, we can go be with him. You see, all the time we say God with us, but how often have you said, it is time now for us to go and be with him? We are with him in our speaking. We are with him in our thinking. We are with him in our worship. We are with him in our coming and going and our doing and being. Oftentimes we talk about this and people tell me that when I talk about this that it impacts them. That we used to pray all the time when I was young. I used to think about, and even in my early ministry would say, God, go with us as we travel to and from here. And then I began to think, if God is everywhere, I'm going to stop saying it that way. I'm going to start saying, God, let me go with you. Please grant that I may come and be where you are. And that as I know because he has come into this world to be in our midst, Emmanuel, God with us, that now I'll say, it's not just enough now that you have come to be with me because that saves me. But now the testimony and the legacy of my life is, is that I want for people to know that I go with God, with him, wherever he goes, that I'll be a witness for him. And that when people ask of me, they will say, what is it that is different about you? I will say, it is Christ. It is him. I'll never forget having a, a, a strange encounter one time. We were in the midst of hanging out with some friends, and we encountered some new friends as a result of that night. And, and there was a conversation that was had with me on the phone a couple of days later. One of the individuals reaches out and says, you know, I got to tell you something happened. And I, I was blown away by this moment. And I was like, okay, what happened? And they were like, after hanging out with you for just a short period of time, I realized that something was, was missing in my life. And I, I was like, well, I don't know where this is going. This kind of seems strange. And the individual recounts the story. The testimony was is that they felt pretty low and empty after that, that encounter and began to talk to a friend of theirs who says, well, I don't know much about what he believes, but I do know that I have a family member that believes, and they began to talk with them about the, the, this, this thing that seemed missing from the story. And this individual has a, a come-to-Jesus moment where the, because of this weird interaction where we just met and just we hung out for an evening where it was all of a sudden it was this, this salvation story that comes next. And I praise God that I was able to hear the story of this individual calling me and saying, I got to tell you that I got saved because when I left from where you were at, I felt so empty and so hollow that I didn't know what to do next. So I looked to my friend and my friend said, we got to talk to my mom. And, and there's this moment when I look to the scriptures and I realize God has been with me and because I choose to be with him, others will know the story. Do you know this story today? You might be in this place this morning, this moment. And I know you're thinking to yourself, point number four, we should go with him. But are you in this place this morning where maybe you're here because you're with family or friends or maybe you're here because you come regularly with family or friends and but, but you're feeling a little empty inside and you're not sure how to fill that void and you don't know what's next? Well, let me tell you, the scripture has made it very clear that Jesus is our hope and that he can help you know this light and this grace that comes only from him, to be born only of him in such a way that your life will be forever changed, that you might receive this gift that has been waiting for you your whole life. I hope that will be you today. But you might also be here today 
And you might be in this place saying, God has been with me through all the things, and I cry out to him every time I have a crisis or a problem, but I want to make a firm commitment this morning to go with him wherever he goes, that we might, as a result, follow him as hard. You know, I want you to see this picture with me. What do you think it means when shepherds are told by angels? What do you think it means? It means they should go see him. What do you think it means when angels peel back the, the veil between the eternity in front of us and the, and the temporary right now, that they could be near Jesus? What do you think it means when wise men come all the way across so they could be with him? The story has been telling us that we need to go to Jesus, that we need to go and be with him. Wise men do it, shepherds do it, angels do it. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The whole world bent in, leaned in, and saw him. What are you waiting for? Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today to hear these verses. That we could go with you. Lord, rescue each and every one of us, I pray. I pray, Lord, even now, Lord, that these that might have this hollow space in their life that aren't certain how to fill it, that they might just cry out to you and ask you to save them. But I also pray, Lord, for each and every one of us that's here that already know you, that have been inviting you into what we're doing so frequently that maybe we'll accept the invitation to follow you wherever you go. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would be bold in our, in our, our decision-making, fearing not what others might think, concerned not of anything else that has to be accomplished today, but dedicating this moment right here that we might understand that you came to be with us, that we might be with you forever. I pray, Lord, that we would respond according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.